morning. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 84. Just doing a couple of topical messages here before we jump into a New Testament book. And just going to go through Psalm 84, really, just lay it on just the larger context and then kind of focus in on one verse here. So let's read this and we'll start here in verse 1. Uh, to the choir master, according to the Gittith, the psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, our God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. For the Lord, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So just wanting to talk about um, contentment. Contentment. And where does contentment come from? Uh, How do we foster contentment? And really, you could call this little section maybe a a biographical sketch here. Um, It seems pretty significant who wrote this song the sons of Korah and to kind of get the idea of contentment and where it's fostered um, it really is amazing some of the things they say here connecting them back to their ancestors because these are the sons of Korah and if you remember the story of Korah Korah actually ended up dying because of a lack of contentment of grumbling and complaining in numbers. And so this is kind of a a lot of reading, but I think it's helpful and going to read kind of, kind of a longer section that section from numbers on Korah because this is the sons of Korah writing this. So if you want to jump to number 16, you can or I can just read it to you. Um it's a it's a little bit of a longer section. But as we read through this section of Numbers, I just want you to think about these things we just read in Psalm 84 and how they connect so clearly and specifically to this psalm. Uh, just want to give credit to um, James, James Jennings from uh, Texas because he's the one that pointed this out to me um, that to, connect, to see who wrote this. Um, so... It, I feel like it's really cl- helpful and clear, uh, but of course, credit to him uh, for really thinking this through. And um, but let's read here Numbers sixteen. And this remember this is 
either their grandkids, great grandkids, or potentially, yeah, we're not, we're not sure exactly uh, how many generations, but they're identifying themselves as the sons of Korah. So that's significant. Numbers 16.1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Koloth, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of people, with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and they said to him, You have gone too far, for in all the congregation for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to the, bring him and bring him near to him, the one whom he chooses he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel separated you from the whole congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And he has brought you near to him, and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. Would, would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore it is against the Lord that you and your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. And they said, We will not come up. Is it a thing that you have brought us, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry, and he said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have harmed, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take a censer and put incense upon it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. And every man took a censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood in the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared in all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got out from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, Abram. Dathan and Abram came and stood out at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. I want you to notice there that it specifically does not say Korah stood outside his tent with his sons and his little ones. Okay, so the other two specifically notes their family was there with them. 
even though Moses said, get away from the tents, the family's like, no, I'm sticking with, with uh, Dathan and Abram, but not Korah's family. So note that. And Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the people who belonged to Korah, and all the people who belonged to Korah and their goods. So they that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly, and all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, and they said, for they said, Let the earth, lest the earth swallow us up. One more thing I want to note here. This is later on in Numbers, but it specifically circles back around at the end of Numbers and brings up the sons of Korah in Numbers 26. It kind of gives a summary of this uh, two-verse summary, and then in Numbers 26, 11 it says, well, I'll read 10 and 11, And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. Then the, when that company died, when all the fire devoured 250 men, they became a warning. Verse 11, But the sons of Korah did not die. So he brings up specifically, okay, of these people, Korah's sons didn't die. And so here, why do we bring all that up? Well, because back to Psalm 84, as we're kind of going to camp in, this is the context. This is the descendants. You know, we don't really have a good record of when all these psalms were written, so we don't know exactly, but, you know, whether it's the kids who saw it, or those kids told their kids, or those kids' grandparents told them about what happened, they're still calling themselves the sons of Korah, and this psalm is very, seems clear to me, referencing these things and talking about what they learned from their ancestors, their grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, we don't know. Um, and there's a, quite a contrast here. And so just a lesson here for us, and hopefully we can learn something as well and be encouraged in the Lord and to trust him. So let's just start with some of the similarities here. Psalm 84, there's several parts that are seem to be a clear reference to this story. So for example, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. This is verse 10 of Psalm 84. We're kind of kind of camp out in Psalm 84, so if you want to turn back there you can. Uh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So think about this connection here. They're saying, I want to be a doorkeeper. It's good to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. That's better than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And what was Korah? He was one of the Levites who stood outside the temple and he was upset that he couldn't go in. He stood there and served. That's very clearly what they said, is that they were servants at the temple. But they, didn't, they wanted more. They wanted to be priests. They wanted to go in. And so, here he's, his descendants here are saying the opposite. It's enough for us just to be servants. It's okay if we're just doorkeepers, if we get to be near God, if we get to worship Him. And then notice, this is really the verse that I kind of want to just bring out um, and talk about most most of the messages 
Verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is an Old Testament real version of a famous verse in Romans that many people have memorized. Like, and I'm blanking on the number now, Romans 8, 28. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's kind of scary to get up here and have to try and say the verse. You know, it's like from memory. It's like, oh, wait, I'm blanking. <laughs> but anyways, um, that God works all things together for good, right? To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so here's kind of an Old Testament version of that. And today I just want to ask you the question and ask myself the question and remind myself and remind us, do we believe that? Because the fact is, it's true, right? God does not hold one good thing from you. That he, He's not withholding good from you. Do we believe that? Are there areas in our life where we're letting that creep in? Well, I think God's got something. He's withholding good from me here. I think God's holding out on me here. And we want contentment. And this is really the source of contentment, is being someone who looks to God as our source, as our sun, as our shield, as our provider, that we can trust in the providence of God. And that's why we can be content where we are in our circumstances, because it's God who put us there. And so you really see that in the story of in Numbers, where Moses specifically says, well, you're grumbling. You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God. And we want to be people that can say these verses. You know, Can we say this from our heart? Better is a day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Can we say that with our whole hearts? I, I just want to be near God. I, don't, I want to be far from sin, and wherever God has me, that's good enough because He's there, and He's near. Can we say that with our whole hearts? And so we just ask ourselves those questions. Uh, let's contrast that statement with exactly what Moses says to Korah. He says this, Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the con- congregation of Israel? So we're just going to break some of these down. Moses is asking them a question. Is this too small a thing for you that God separated you and made you a servant here in the entrance of the temple? He's saying God chose you. Is that too small a thing for you? He he chose you for a purpose. And so we could apply that to our lives too, can't we? Can't we ask ourselves that question? We're not not necessarily doorkeepers at, at a physical temple, but every Christian, we can say that God has chosen us to serve him. Right? Aren't we a kingdom of priests to God? Yes, we are, each one of us. If we've trusted Christ for forgiveness, if we're looking to him, if we're a new creation in him, we are a part of Israel and we're part of the temple and we're a kingdom of priests. And we can just ask ourselves in terms of contentment, is that too small a thing for me? Is it too small a thing for me that I get to be a servant of of the living God and actually be one of his children, a priest in his kingdom where he's put me? To the people around me. Is that too small a thing? I think we know the answer is no, right? That's not too small a thing, but we have to remember that it's God that put us there, that God chose us, God separated us by His blood, by His Spirit. 
Okay, and then this is what Moses says next. This is, is it too small a thing that he chose you and separated you to bring you near to himself? Is that too small a thing for us? Wherever we are, whenever we're struggling with contentment, what do we have as Christians? We've got God's nearness. Is that too small a thing? It's like God, let's just choose an example. God, I could make more money. I've got your nearness, of course, but I'd like a few more dollars a year, right? It's like God, you've got God, God's nearness, God himself with you. Is that too small a thing? Isn't it a wonderful thing if you, got, if you had the opportunity, hey, do you want God's nearness or you know, double your salary? Wouldn't you say, oh, I'd, I'd rather have God's nearness? But when we don't set our minds on these things, these discontentment can creep in, can't it? subtly get discontent with where God's placed us and forget about the massive blessings we have, like God's nearness, the nearness of God. And he actually brings this up several more times. Is it too small a thing? I'm just going to kind of... He, he lists several things, but I'm going to just keep going. Is it too small a thing to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord? So, to worship and serve the Lord. Is that too small a thing? Wherever we are, wherever God has put us, just like the sons of Korah, just like... Korah and the sons of Korah both, we can say, what does God have us to do? He's put us where we are to serve Him and to worship Him. What an honor that is, isn't it? You remember when we did our series on worship and we talked about Cain, how Cain brought his offering and God spoke and said, I reject your offering. What a blessing that we can worship God and we don't hear a voice from heaven saying, I reject your worship. Wouldn't that be horrible? to look out at the sky and look at what Christ did and want to worship Him. And God says, don't worship me. I reject your worship. That would be horrible. But that would be right for God to do it because of our sin. God could say that justly. And yet, He hasn't. He's washed us by His blood on the cross that we could come and serve Him and worship Him. It's no small thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to sit on your couch or bow your knees or sing hymns here at church uh, at the church meeting. Um, what a wonderful thing to be able to worship God and He hears and He's pleased. That's a blessing. Again, it's not too small of a thing, is it, when we think about it? What an amazing thing. You know, they've got all these TV shows where the people are singing, you know, different, I don't know, a thousand different versions of it. You know, getting up and, and singing and getting all these judges and famous judges and all that. It's like, that's nothing compared to God Almighty hearing your worship and He's pleased, right? Even if the whole nation texts in votes for you, what would be better? Wouldn't it be better just to have God of the universe look down and be pleased with your heart, with your worship? It's not too small a thing, is it? And then he says, is it too small a thing? That's kind of the beginning. I'm just kind of adding this to each, to the whole list. To stand before the congregation and minister to them. So, to serve those God has put, to, to serve the ones God put you there to serve. Is that too small a thing? It's a wonderful thing that wherever God's put you, you've got people that you're serving. God put you there for every Christian is there to serve the people around them, other Christians as well as non-Christians, your family members, if you're a parent, your, your children. Your children, if you're a child and you're trusting in the Lord, you can serve your brothers and sisters. You can serve your parents. And that can be pleasing to the Lord. Um, 
And it is pleasing to the Lord if you're doing it unto Him. But it's not too small a thing, is it? Can you imagine actually saying that to God? God, it's just too small a thing for me to just serve my own kids. I need to be doing something important. That's not right. That's not right. God looked over all the world, and He thought, where do I want you? Where do I want? And just put your name in there. I want them here. Who do I want them serving? I want them serving these people. That's a blessing. And that's an, that is not too small a thing, is it? It's an amazing thing. And then he circles back around to the nearness of God. And that is a too small a thing that he has brought you near to him and all your brothers and the sons of Levi with you. Would you seek the priesthood also? A nearness again, right? Back circling back around to the nearness of God. What a wonderful thing that all that worship, service to God, service to those around you, and his nearness. God's there with you. So we just ask ourselves that question. Which one of the sons of Korah, which one of the, uh, the sons of Korah or the Korah are we being like in 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 our life? Um, are we t- are we telling God, God? Where you've put me, the things you've asked me to do, those are just two small things. I need more important things. Or are we saying, God, I'm so thankful that you put me where you've put me to serve you, to serve the people around me, to worship you and to be near you, because that is not too small a thing. We want to be content, don't we? And how many reasons here do we have to be content? And just notice how this same question that Moses directly asked Korah, they're kind of answering it in a way, aren't they? They're answering that question years later and saying, it's not too small a thing. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a good answer. Right? It's almost, it feels, and this is my kind of guess, I'm guessing, okay? This isn't like law or anything like that. But it almost feels like they're, they're, they're meditating on this event and saying, what should they have said? You know? What should their heart been? What should the answer have been? It's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I mean, think about that. If this was the actual children, they had to run out of the tent. They had to run out of their dad's tent. Boy, that's that's a sad thing to say. Get away from your dad. You know, that's basically what Moses said to him. You got to get out of there because God's not pleased. They're they're grumbling against the Lord, and so we want to be people of contentment. Contentment in what? Contentment in our circumstances. Contentment in the God who placed us in our circumstances. Right? God, God's with us. God placed us where we want. And so, this is kind of the background, the context, the Old Testament context of these verses, and then trying to build up you know, what Psalm 84 means, but then we kind of already started to do this, but let's ask some more other questions about us, right? Bridge the context, not just what does this mean for them, but what does this mean for us? Are there anything, any things that you complain about often? Things you wish you had that you don't have? Things that you do have that you wish you didn't have? Things about where God placed you that you just don't that you are constantly rubbing against you. 
do our words and our actions show discontentment or contentment? We have a lot of blessings from the Lord. Are we focusing on these little things that we wish were different and missing the big things, the wonderful things? Those of you with kids, you ever have to kind of talk through this with your kids? Right? There's Focus on the one toy that the other child is playing with. Right? Closet full toys. Here, I want that one. You haven't picked that one up in weeks. <laughs> well, it's... But the other child picked it up, you know. <laughs> and so, but the thing is, aren't we kind of like that too? I mean, it's not just kids. We can do that in our lives, can't we? We can get to the place where we're so focused on the things that we don't have or the things we do have that we don't like that we miss the Lord, we miss the big things. Just something we can pray about. You know, what if... And we want to just, we don't want to just read, right? We want to meditate. So, challenge to you and to me, we could just, what if sometime this week you just pray and ask God, God, is there anything like that in my heart? Is there anything, is there just one thing that you want to change and help, help me to not complain about or to really trust you on that's difficult? We can just ask the Lord to show us. Maybe there's one thing, maybe there's a couple of things that we can just pray. God, would you search my heart? Would you help me to see if there's anything like this in my life? So that's a kind of a challenge to all of us. We can let's pray about it this week. I want to notice another point, okay? Switching gears a little bit. I want you to notice the contrast of circumstances versus sin or versus the internal walk with God in Psalm 84 here. He specifically says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. See those contrasts? I think it's kind of significant because the world does just the opposite, don't they? The world, and or we could say our flesh, is just the opposite. We're totally content with the sin in our heart, but it's all the out- external circumstances we want changed, right? That's what really gets us, you know? It's not when we get angry and, and we fall short that that really makes us discontent. It's the thing that I don't have or the this and that, this external thing. Whereas the Bible, whereas God, Christians should be just the opposite. We should be content with our external circumstances. And the thing that really makes us discontent is where we fall short, the sin in our own hearts, right? And that's what he's saying here. One is worse than the other. Our external circumstances are the ways we're falling short. We don't want to be dwelling in the tents of wickedness. We don't. I'll read you a quote from Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson has a really good little book. He's my favorite. I've already given a plug for this several times, but he's my favorite Puritan. He writes real short, clear, easy-to-read sentences, even like now, you know, 100 years later. Like his sentences are shorter than most other Puritans' book titles. So, (laughs) (laughs) So the way I described it before is if there was tweets, you know, back then, his quotes are still tweetable. They're, they're short, they're clear, they're, they're pithy, you know, they're, they pack a punch. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quote here from Thomas Watson. Uh, the book um, is called Divine Contentment. It's really good. It's super short, and it's really helpful. I think it's like 100 pages. You can read it for your online, or you can buy a, a pretty cheap copy. Okay, Thomas Watson. 
And this is him kind of pointing out that idea. Outward, outward versus inward contentment. Outward troubles cannot hinder this blessed contentment. It arises from learning of God's love. When there is a tempest without, there may be music within. A bee may sting through the skin, but it cannot sting to the heart. Outward afflictions cannot sting to a Christian's heart where contentment lies. We want this inward contentment, not dependent on our external circumstances, that things can come in, but where does all these things that we talked about lie? The nearness of God, ability to worship Him, being His child, uh, being His servant, loving those around us, all that is internal. And you can have that anywhere. You can have that like Paul in a jail cell locked up, right? Or you can have it at your job. You can have it with your kids. You can have it, you know, all the things that you have to do. You can have that internal contentment. And that's what we want. We want to treasure the Lord and where He's put us and who He is to us and that we can trust Him every day, all day. So, uh, second prayer we could pray is just God... Is there any area where I'm more discontent with the circumstances than I am with sin in my life, right? Where I'm content to dwell in the tents of wickedness, right? We don't want to be content there. We don't want to be content with even a tiny sin. Another quote from Thomas Watson, I like this one a lot. I've shared this many times. A sea of suffering is better than a drop of sin. Isn't that true? It's better just to trust the Lord. It's like, man, it's... We were just having a conversation this week about about lying. And we talked about, well, you saw this, probably saw the news that there was a balloon going over the U.S. or whatever. I was telling my daughter about Eisenhower whenever we had these spy planes that could fly way above their radar. I'm pretty sure it was Eisenhower. And we were taking photos of, uh, you know, all these different countries, which we weren't supposed to be doing. And then one crashed, and Eisenhower lied. Boy, I hope I'm not slandering Eisenhower. I think it was Eisenhower. I could be the wrong president. Um, but anyways, the plane crashed and he lied. He's like, oh, no, that wasn't us. And they said, well, here's your pilot. <laughs> and he had to go back and take it back and say, oh, I lied. That is ours. And uh, I guess I'm just showing my history ignorance there. I, anyways, somebody can correct me. Some One of you probably knows right now. But, um, And we talked about it at dinner. Well, why did he lie? Well, people think it's easier to lie. It's easier. Is that true? You know, is it true? Is it easier to lie? Is it ever easier to lie? No. In the end, it's going to come back to bite you, you know? Um, It's okay to dwell in the tents of wickedness, basically. Well, this is our false belief. It's okay to dwell in the tents of wickedness if it makes it easier right now. That's not true, (laughs) right? A sea of suffering is better than a drop of sin. Better to have all the world mad that you're flying planes over the over their countries taking pictures than to lie, you know. And same in our life, isn't it? Kids, is it hard to tell your parents, "Hey, I disobeyed you. I I stole this. I did this. I did. I didn't do what you asked." That's hard, but and it may feel easier to lie. It's not. It's harder. Um, a sea of suffering is better than a drop of sin. Better to be honest now. It's hard, but it's much harder to get caught to stand before God and have to give an account, to have that guilt on your conscience. And the same with adults as well. But We want to be discontent with sin, don't we? And content with our circumstances. And that's what they're expressing here. And that's what Korah didn't do, right? 
What he really needed was a check in his heart. God, I've got my priorities wrong. My heart's wrong here. My circumstances aren't the problem. My heart's the problem. But it was just the reverse. I'm discontent with my circumstances, and I'm just going to keep my heart going where it is. And then the final thing, just to point out here. Well, two more things, I guess I should say. Where does all that we have come from? We kind of already talked about this, but it comes from God, doesn't it? John 3.27 A person, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You've got lots of gifts in your life that are hard, right? Isn't it? That's kind of what we talked about last week with James. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or endurance. You've got gifts in your life, and those gifts come in the form of difficulties. Difficulties that grow your faith. And those are from God. We don't want to take those and complain. Job's a good example. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God. God, God gives us the things that we have in our life. We don't, we don't want to complain about God. Number 1611. Therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. We don't want to, we don't want to complain against God. Right? We don't want to bite the hand that feeds us. Discontentment can spoil good gifts, can it? Think about, I'll give you another quote from Thomas Watson. Our first parents, clothed with the white robe of innocency in paradise, had not learned to be content. They had aspiring hearts and would be crowned with deity and be as gods. Though they had the choice of all the trees in the garden, yet none would content them but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Literally paradise. One tree you couldn't eat from. That's a tree I want. Right? Literally, discontentment can spoil paradise. Discontentment can spoil heaven, if you want to say it that way. Sad. There's good gifts, many good gifts God's put in our life. We don't want to complain. We don't want to see them as negatives instead of as gifts. I'll give you an example here. God best knows what we need. And things come into our life that seem like we think in our own mind, our own reasoning, this isn't what's best. This doesn't fit with the verse. No good thing does he withhold. It seems like this is a good thing, and you're not giving it, God. Why not? At that moment, we need to trust. God, you would give it if it was good. If it's good and I don't have it now, it's not the right time. And we need to give it to the Lord. We need to trust that he knows what's best for us. One more quote from Thomas Watson. This is the last one here. This idea that there's times when we think this verse isn't true, where we believe, God, there's something good that you need to give me and you're not, or you're not doing it as fast as I would like. Here's what he says. If we were able to parcel out our own comforts, we would often parcel out that which is harmful to us. Is it not well for the child that the parent should choose for it? Were the child left to itself, it would perhaps choose a knife to cut its own finger It is well for the patient that he is at the doctor's appointment. The consideration of a degree of a decree determining and a providence disposing of all things should work for our hearts to holy contentment. I'll pause right there. We're like the kid who often would choose the knife to cut our finger rather than the good gift, right, that God has given us. 
or the no for a time. Or, I mean, this don't you know this, that the doctor asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, right? Take this medicine. Here, you know, it's going to be, taste bad, you know? Or eat healthy, you know, get yourself uh, cleaned up in terms of your diet and exercise, you know? But the same with God, right? God knows what we need even if we don't want to hear it. Uh, and he gives us what's good. The wise God has ordered our condition. If he sees it better for us to abound, we shall abound. If he sees it better for us to be in need, we shall be in need. Be content to be at God's disposal. God sees in his infinite wisdom the same condition is not best for all. That which is good for one may be bad for another. What appears hard now will turn out for our good in the end. God's using it for our good. And often we have different priorities than God, right? God wants to grow our faith. God wants to use, grow love for others in Him. And many times He uses difficult circumstances to do that. How many of you have been going through a really difficult trial and found yourself more sympathetic for somebody else who's going through something difficult? It's like your heart gets softened up and you feel it more, you know? When somebody else goes through something What we could say is this. All the difficulties in your life, let's imagine kind of a, a scenario. Imagine I've got this big bag right here. And I said, hey, I forgot. I'm going to give you this. And I throw it. And you grab it and it hits you. Oh, and you pull your back out. And then you get mad. Why in the world did you do that? Uh, you knocked my back out. And then you open it up and it's full of gold. <laughs> How would you feel? It's like, wow, that was kind of painful, but... I guess it works out in the end. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of what God's doing to us, isn't it? I mean, there's many times where something hits us and we think, man, this is hard. But God's going to use it in the end for our good. To bring us near to Him, to help us grow closer to Him. And it's like, we don't want to complain about that bag of gold get thrown to us prematurely before we've opened it up and see what's in there, Right? And that's not a perfect illustration, you know, because you could hand the gold and not pull out somebody's back. But God does this all the time. He's working in our lives. How many times have you in your life experienced something difficult? And in the end, you could say, just with the psalmist, no good thing does he withhold. Right? At the time, it's hard to see it, but in the end. Well, probably be good to hear other people's stories. I'm going to kind of close down here, but I'll tell you one. It's amazing, really, that the hardest part, I thought, okay, I need to narrow this down, just have one story from history where this happened. And there's so many where God, it seems like surely this can't be good, and then God turned around for good. There's so many. But this one is from the life of Whitfield. This two-volume set, I don't know if you've ever read this. It's uh, by Dalimore. It's really good. But here's a situation with Whitfield that I feel like perfectly illustrates this idea of no good thing does he withhold, and how could this possibly be for our good? In one of his journeys, Whitfield was told of a widow with a large family whose landlord had had taken her furniture. Whitfield's purse was never large, but his sympathy was great, and he immediately gave the five guineas to the helpless woman in need. The friend who was traveling with him hinted that the sum was more than he could reasonably afford, to which the reply was, this is Whitfield, when God brings a case of distress before us, it is that we may relieve it. Content to serve others there, isn't he? The two travelers proceeded on their journey, and before long they encountered a highwayman. That's not a policeman. That's um, somebody else. 
who, yeah, robber, <laughs> who, de- who demanded their money, which they gave. Whitfield now turned the tables on his friend and reminded him how much better it was for the poor widow to have the five guineas than the thief. <laughs> well, it gets better. Not long had they resumed their travel before the highwayman returned. He left, and then he came back. And he said he wanted Whitfield's coat, too. <laughs> so he left, he robbed him, and then he thought he got to thinking on his way, I guess. Hmm, that coat looked pretty nice. Maybe I better go back. The request was also granted. Whitfield gave the man his coat and accepted the robber's uh, ragged uh, habit, well, I guess habit that's a French word for clothes. Though his, they, 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 they accepted the robber's coat. He took the robber's coat. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah, it's a French word for clothes. I don't know what it, yeah, I don't know what it means in English. <laughs> um, till he could procure better. Okay, so he, he, he left him, he robbed, he came back and he said, I want your coat too. And he says, well, you can at least have my tattered coat, you know, so you don't get cold, I guess. So they were proceeded on towards the most, uh, the closest city. And then they heard him coming again. So they spurred their horses on because they were close enough to the city and they arrived at some cottages before he could catch up to them. That was when Whitfield took off the man's satter coat. Okay, so he pause right here. How could this be God's using all this for good? You know, it's like, wow, here's this really good thing. God sent a robber my way. Well, one, he learned a lesson, right? The other guy learned a lesson, too, from God. Like, wow, here's an important lesson about trusting the Lord and loving others. Well, that's one. Um, but then he came back to steal his coat. It's like, yeah, what's good in that? Okay, here's what happened. He found in one of the pockets carefully wrapped parcel containing 100 guineas. So he literally got robbed and got richer. <laughs> and that's a really good illustration, really, of God, isn't it? I mean, what a good... I mean, that's, that's on the material plane, you know? But that just is a good kind of token of grace. That God is able to work all things for our good, that he doesn't withhold anything good from us. And many times those things come in hard packages, don't they? But yet we've got to trust the Lord. We've got to trust the Lord that he's near us, that we're here to serve him, to love others, and that he's with us, that we have an opportunity to worship, to be near to him. And, you know, would be we've got to mention, as we're about to do communion, the cross. What an example. The worst moment in history is also the best moment. The moment that the one innocent man who ever lived is killed wrongly is the moment that we are freed from our sins and brought into the kingdom of God. And if God can do that, if God, the God who did not spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? God loves us. God knows what we need. And so we want to trust him. And this is the last Last thing I'll say here, I want to read just, this is, the song says it better than I could say, really better summary than I could give. This is from the Redemption. This is uh, by, um, I'll just read you. This is called, Thy way, not mine, O Lord. Thy way, not mine, O Lord, however dark it be. O lead me by thy own right hand. Choose thou the path for me. Smooth, let it be or rough, it will be still the best. Winding or straight, it can but lead 
right onward to thy rest. I dare not choose my lot. I would not if I might. But choose thou for me, O my God, so I shall walk upright. Take thou my cup, and with it joy or sorrow fill. As ever best to thee may seem, choose thou my good or ill. Not mine, not mine the choice, in things or great or small. Be thou to me my God, my strength, my wisdom, and my all. So, praise the Lord, why don't we pray here together. Father, uh, we do not want to um, just listen. We want to live and have a reality in our hearts and lives of trust towards you and gratefulness, thankfulness, contentment. So we're asking, would you please shine a light into our hearts, see if there's any sin that we're content to live in, uh, and just convict us there. We don't want to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Um, as well, would you just shine a light into our hearts and bring anything to our minds where we've been grumbling and discontent and not focusing on the blessings that you've given us. Uh, would you increase our faith? Uh, we want to be able to trust you, not just in the end when we can look back and see what you've done, but in the middle when we don't see yet uh, what you're doing. Uh, but trust you knowing who you are. We need help. We need you with us. We need your spirit. But we trust you that you will help us. Uh, you want us to honor you. You want us to grow. And so we're looking to you for help, believing um, that you'll do just what you promised, that you won't leave us to ourselves, that you'll keep at us, um, and you'll continue to grow us and help us in every way. You'll forgive us where we fall short. We're looking to you, and we're so thankful. Thankful to you, Father, for sending your Son. Thankful to you, Jesus, for being willing to die. Um, we just help us to remember that, what, all that you've done for us, and not take it for granted. We ask these things in your name. Amen.